Well, this uh, last week, uh, I went to uh, a Pacers game, and they were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I was really excited about it, and so uh, some friends of mine, we all got together, and a buddy of mine was uh, driving the car, and we just barely got out of Muncie when all of a sudden we're on I-69, and another driver like pulls in front of my buddy, and he's like, are you serious? And I understand that because, you know, there are people who drive automobiles that sometimes don't have much brain power, right? And uh, some of those individuals might be in this gym this morning, in fact. Now, don't point to who that is, all right? But it does happen that way. So we're on 69, we're, we're coming up to like 465 in that whole interchange, and there's a whole bunch of brake lights that are coming up in front of us. And uh, he's like, oh, great, just great. We're not going to be able to get on here. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're going to go down Benford. Anybody got a problem with that? And everybody in the car is like, no, dude, we don't, we don't have a problem. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why is he in such a rush? Like, we left him plenty of time to go out to eat before, to go to the game. Everything was fine. But he was, you could just see, starting to amp up because he wanted to get there very quickly for no reason. Well, finally, we get close to downtown, and we had to take uh, one of the streets to get us to downtown. And he's like, does anybody know what street we're supposed to go down? And... We're like, well, I, I'm, I'm sitting in the front. And I'm like, I have no clue, dude. I'm just enjoying the ride, you know. And eventually he kind of, he's like, well, does anybody know? And one of my buddies in the back, he's like, yeah. He's like, it's that street you just passed like that. Well, at that point, he's like lost. He's like, seriously, you didn't tell me before. I can't get over there. And he's like, dude, it's no problem. You can get the next one. Okay. So we get off on this next street. And it doesn't go directly downtown. It, like, starts weaving back and forth. He's like, I don't think this is it. This is not the street. This is not the street. And we're like, dude, it's okay. It's not a big deal. But I kept wondering to myself, like, why is he in such a hurry? Why is he rushing so much? Well, eventually, we get downtown, and uh, we stop at a restaurant. And he's like, "Uh, all of you guys just get out. You just get out, and I'll go park the car. And I'm looking, I'm like, we've got three hours before game time. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, dude, seriously, like, you can chill on this, you know? And uh, so we get in there, we eat, we take our time, we, we just, you know, had a good time. We get there, and it was the earliest I'd ever been to a Pacers game before in my life. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, why are you in such a rush? Why are you in such a hurry? Well, we leave from the game, and the Pacers got beat by the Cavs. Any Cavs fans here? I hate you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Just joking. Don't send me an email. They did get beaten overtime, though, my poor Pacers. But we leave, and we didn't know where he parked, and so we walked to this parking garage. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not going to be good. And so we walk up and we get into the car and, you know, immediately it's like Christmas tree lights all over the place. Everyone's breaking. Everybody's going as fast. And then the moment finally came. There's a female driver 
that pulls out in front of us and blows her horn at my friend. And he's like, what's your deal, lady? And he's heated up and it's getting more amped up. And we get into the parking garage and no one is moving. And I'm thinking, here's all these people. They're all in a hurry. They're all uptight and they're not moving. And they're getting mad and angry and upset. And my body and my buddy is starting to get more and more amped up to where all of a sudden I notice that his his hands start gripping the the steering wheel tighter. Because you know if you grip the steering wheel tighter, you'll get out of the parking garage faster. Right? Like if you just do that, that will do it. You can just see the frustration coming more and more. And then we're almost out. And a, a big truck comes right in front of us. And on the back of the truck, I had to take a picture. I think we got it for you here. You might not be able to see it, but at the bottom it says, honor and integrity, a foundation you can count on, unless you're in a parking garage. You know what I mean? This guy just got like right in front of us. And I'm thinking to myself, why is everyone in such a hurry? Like you never get out of a parking garage that fast. But everybody was honking horns and going off. Why are we in such a hurry? This past fall, my uh, wife uh, taught at our women's uh, retreat. And for all the women who are here uh, this morning, if you want, I want to strongly encourage you to put this on your calendar. Save the date. It's April 22nd and 23rd. That'll be the next time we have this. But I would encourage you to come and, uh, you know, tell your wife, girlfriend, uh, mom, whatever, to come as well. Before this retreat, what Jen's task was, was she was going to look at all of the particular speakers and try to have a theme that she would say all the speakers spoke into. And at the very end, she said, you know, every person that came up and talked this time, she goes, I just felt like they were saying, I I never have felt like I'm enough. I never felt like I'm not enough. And she said, I myself... I felt like as I've gone through my life that I haven't been enough. And then she started sharing that as a child growing up, uh, she would get an A minus and her parents would be like, can you do better than that? She talks about the time when she was five years old and she had written out a young author's thing and she didn't keep it all within the lines. And her mom made her write it all over again. And she said she just went through life thinking, I'm just not enough. She applied for medical school. She got in. She got an IU. But then people around her said, oh, you didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton? And all of a sudden she's feeling like she's not enough. She marries me and we're uh, pastoring at a very small country church. And they wanted the pastor's wife to do like every single thing in the church. The only problem was she was in medical school. So she didn't meet up to their standards. And again, she felt like she wasn't enough. And so many women at that retreat after that, they would come up to me and they'd go, oh, your wife, she gave such an amazing talk because I felt like I wasn't enough going into the teaching. Because so many of them walked into that day feeling anxious and stressed and busy and maxed to the max. And they felt like, I've just never felt like I'm enough. 
And so many of the women could relate because this is the thing that happens many times in women's lives. They try to do so many things. It's like the Chinese acrobats that have all of those plates that they're spinning and the speed's going fast and you're trying to keep everything going that's around you. And what happens is that the speed of their life is out of control and they're skimming on relationships and they're overexhausted. And the retreat was a moment for them to pull away and to find some balance. You know, I wonder if God ever looks down on planet Earth and he goes, you know what, you're compromising my image. This is not who I created you to be. I wonder if it's like he, he wants to send us like a cease and desist letter and say, quit going so fast. Now, this morning, what I want to talk about is a concept in the Bible called Sabbath. And the whole concept comes from this Hebrew word called Shabbat, which means to cease and desist. And the way that we can kind of pull this concept off called Sabbath is by you and I giving to God a day of rest. Now, this is what's really interesting. When God created the entire world, he did it in six days. On the sixth day, you might remember, he got his hands dirty and he like molded and shaped a human being. But remember what he did on the seventh day? He like pulled back and he what? Rested. Now, why did God rest? It wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't like the, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, like, man, we're exhausted. These human beings, they're hard to make. We got to take a break. No, 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 no. He was creating a culture that he wanted humans to understand that every seventh day you should pull back and rest. And so my prayer for every single person in this place today is that you might begin a fresh start with your Sabbath. So this is how we're going to do it. We're going to look at three scriptures. I'm going to ask you three questions. And then I'm going to give you three practical steps of how you can apply a Sabbath fresh start. So here's the first story. It's in Exodus. Exodus is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, the second book of the Bible. The Hebrew people find themselves in slavery. And it's not just any kind of slavery, but it's a slavery in which they have to produce bricks. Day after day after day after day, their identity is in making bricks. And if they don't produce enough bricks, what happens? They get whipped. They get beaten. They get abused. They get shamed. And you know how long they did this? 430 years. Seven days a week. Brick after brick after brick after brick. That's all they knew. And they cry out to God. They're like, God, for 430 years, they're like, God, please rescue us. Please come help us. Rescue us. Come help us. Get us out of this. And God shows up. And he did. 
And so he takes this group of people. He opens up the Red Sea. Some of you might remember that story. They walk across. They get on the other side. They sing this amazing song. And they're ready to move towards this promised land that he had promised to them. But how are they going to live in this new reality, this new freedom that they have? They're hungry, and so they come to Moses, and they're like, dude, are we going to eat over here? I wish we would have stayed in Egypt. At least we had food. Are we going to have food? And so Moses goes, and he prays to God, and God says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you something called manna, which is bread from heaven, and it will fall down in the evening, and in the morning, you can go and pick it up. You know what manna actually means? What is it? And that's true. Like, if you and I start seeing bread come down from everything, what is it? Right? And so, all this comes, comes down. And he says, I just want you to get enough each day for what you need for that day. But on the sixth day, I want you to get two portions of it because on day seven, what did God do? He rested. And so if he's the creator and we're the creation, then we should what? Rest. Look at what it says in Exodus 16, verse 23. Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. This isn't just God coming and saying, you do this. When he says this is what the Lord commanded, it isn't that kind of thing. This is what it means in this passage. Actually, the Hebrew tells us that what he really means is that he's saying this is what would be best for you. I'm telling you, if you do this, this will be best for you. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Holy means set apart. That you set apart... One day within the week where you're going to pull back and you're going to rest. And so he says, hey, take all your food and just take enough for that day. But on the sixth day, pull back two portions of it because the next day, on the Sabbath day, you're actually going to rest. Now think about this. If you were raised in a family where your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, and your great-great-great-grandfather, all they ever did was build bricks every single day, seven days a week. And someone comes to you and says, hey, you can take one day off. What do you think they were thinking? Are you kidding me? All we know are bricks. All they've ever known is that. But God comes to them and he says, you know what? I'm different than Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the guy making them make all the bricks in Egypt. He said, I want you to know that I'm different than that. I'm the kind of God who pulls back. And on that day, I want you to see your identity in me and not in what you produce. And Sabbath, folks, Sabbath is so important because it's the day that you can Identify yourself as God's child, not what you do. But many of us resist Sabbath. And I think the reason is, is because just underneath that, there are some big questions that we would have to ask ourselves. And the first question that I want to ask you this morning is this. Who is your Pharaoh? Who is your Pharaoh? 
Now, some of you right now are going, what you talking about, Chris? Who's my Pharaoh? So I want to give you a story. Johnny Cash was a great musician and a great artist. If you've ever read any of his biographies or you saw the movie Walk the Line, you'll know that his older brother died. And when that happened, his father actually said, I wished it would have been you. And so Johnny has this angst within him his entire life that he felt like he just had no worth whatsoever. And you can hear it in many of the lyrics of his songs. Well, finally, he makes it really big and he goes out and he buys this gigantic house. And he's so excited. He gets his wife, June, and all of her family together and he gets his family together and they all come and he's trying to win his father's approval because his father said it would be better if you were dead. And he goes up to his dad and he's like, Dad, how do you like this house? I mean, look how big it is. What do you think? What do you think? He's like, tell me, tell me, tell me. He's just longing for the approval of his father. And his dad comes back to him and says, it's all right. It's just a house. And the story is told that Johnny gets up from the kitchen table. He walks outside. And the first time in his life, he realized that he would never meet the approval of his dad. He tried his entire life to serve a Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh was his father. So this is my question for you this morning. Who's your Pharaoh? Are you still trying to live to please a parent? Are you still trying to please the boss? Is there something that someone said a long, long time ago in which they were like, you're never going to be anything but In your life, you're like, I'm going to prove them wrong. And you just keep going and you keep spinning the plates and you keep going faster and faster and faster. What's the thing that you have to turn off in your mind? What is the thing that you've got to disconnect from work? What's the thing that you keep trying to climb and climb and climb and do and do and do? And achieve and perform? What's that thing? It could be a lie. It could be a person. It could be a voice. What is it? What is the Pharaoh that you find yourself continuing to try to please? Because that's what the Sabbath wants to go after. It wants to go after anything that you're trying to say, that's where my identity lies. Because God says, no, no, no. Keep the Sabbath because it's on that day that you'll realize your identity is in me. Second passage of scripture, Deuteronomy chapter five. Deuteronomy is the uh, the fifth book of the uh, Old Testament. And it's an amazing book. And the theme to the entire book is one word. Remember. Just remember. Remember. The Hebrew people, the Hebrew people are walking in the wilderness towards the promised land. And Moses keeps telling them, please don't forget. Don't forget what God did. Don't forget what he helped us to get across this Red Sea. Please don't forget. Don't forget the commandments. Please don't forget those sacred 
those sacred deeds? Remember, remember, remember. Because Moses knew something that you and I know very well. We're very good at remembering the things we ought to forget. And we're very good at forgetting the things we ought to remember. Let me say that again. We're very good at remembering the things we ought to forget. But we're also very good at forgetting the things we ought to remember. And so this whole book is about trying to help people to remember, to remember what God had done. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's basically the telling, the retelling of the Ten Commandments. These ten phrases, these ten ideas, these ten words. Now this is what's interesting about the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments are all about our relationship with God. It's a vertical understanding of us and God. The last six are all about our relationships with other people. But number four, almost exactly in the middle, is about the Sabbath. It's about our relationship with God, but it's also about our relationship with other people around us. In verse 12, it says this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest... As you do. So here's this entire passage, and the first part of it deals with the fact that it talks about work. For six days, you should work. Now, some of you are like, man, I only worked five days. You had it so much better than the Hebrew people, you know? But he said, no, no, six days, work, work really hard, but set aside one day for rest. And you can't have other people working for you in your place. So he says, you know, you can't have your servants doing that. Our small group right now is going through a study called Simplify. And uh, if you're not in a small group, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's the best way for you to grow and uh, to, to know God's will for your life and to have some people around you to know that you're not alone. Well, our group is studying this thing called Simplify, and we're learning how to stop living at such a frenetic pace. And that there's this new course of balance that we're trying to figure out. And the author of this series is a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. And he talks in one particular session about simplifying our finances. And Bill basically says that there are two types of idiots When it comes to our finances. So we're going to throw it up real quick. Two types of idiots. This uh, first group thinks that the second group are idiots. And the second group thinks that the first group are idiots. Another reason why it's good to go to a small group. You can say idiot a lot and everyone understands. It's like no big deal, okay? So... This is what it is. The first group of people say this. I need 100% of my income to get from A 
to be. And then there's another group of people, a second group of people that say, no, 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 I don't need 100%. I just need 90% to get from A to B. And I give my first fruits, the first 10% to God. And what happens is God takes me to C, which is unchartered territory, where I receive blessing from him. But what's amazing is that the first group of people look at the second group of people and they're like, you're idiots. You mean you're going to give 10% of your income to God? You are an idiot. And the second group of people says, no, no, no. You're not going to give anything to God? Then you're an idiot. And folks, every week we have a priority test. Every seven days we have a priority test. Now, in that session he was talking about finances, but I was thinking about it this week. And it can refer to this concept of Sabbath as well. There's some people who say, oh man, for me to get from A to B, I need seven days. I can't get everything that I need to get done if I don't take seven days. And then there's another group that says, I don't need seven, I only need six. For me to get to A to B, I only need six days. And if I give that one day to God, what he does is he takes me to uncharted territory and he takes me to a point called C. And Moses is trying to tell these people, hey, guys, Six days a week, you can do it. Give one day of rest to God. So here's my second question for you. How many days do you need in your week? Do you need seven? Or could you do it in six? How many days do you need in your week? Seven or six? This week I read a really interesting uh, article In the 1960s, uh, the U.S. Senate put together a subcommittee to actually uh, figure out technology and how many hours in a week a person would work, like in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. And so they put all this work together on what the average work week would be for the U.S. uh, population. And they came back, and this is what they told people, U.S. Senate Subcommittee. They came back. Anyone want to guess how many hours they thought people in the U.S. population would be working in a week? 14 hours a week. Man, when I saw that, I was like, sign me up. You know what I mean? 14 hours a week. Now, this is the truth. We're in 2016, and it's not 14 hours a week. What is it? 14 hours a day for some of you. You never Stop it off. And you know why that is? This thing. It's a smartphone. It's supposed to make us smart. You know what it does? It just makes us on all the time. We're always on. We're always accessible. We're always reachable. Any time of the day, people can get a hold of you. They can let you know. And every once in a while, what you got to do is you got to put it like a dog. Put it there and go, stay. Just stay. And what happens so often is people can't do that. And it takes away from rest. 
They actually had, have you read about this as disease that they're starting to notice that people have behaviors if they keep their phone right by their bed? They wake up at night, they don't sleep as well. They're actually having some diagnosed issues because they can't keep unattached. And I'm just asking you this morning. Do you ever have a day where you actually cease, desist, and delight? Or do you have seven days where you're just like, okay, I got a gap here, I got a gap there, but I'm just going to keep on going. Now, some of you are listening to this this morning. You're like, serious, I came up, I got up early for this. I mean, Chris, you're in fairy tale land. I have 168 hours in my week, and I need every single one of them. Where am I ever going to have some space for a Sabbath? And yet that's what Sabbath wants you to wrestle with. How many days do you really need? Who are you serving when you do this? And do you know how to rest with God? Third scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, starting verse 9, the writer says this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter this rest. Folks, there is a rest that is available to you in God through Christ. A rest where you can take a deep breath. And you can just experience God's presence. But the speed that some of you are going is so fast that you miss it. You miss the moment that God wants to be just connecting with you. I saw this uh, change happen when I was growing up. In the 1980s, when I was an infant... You know, you're so much smarter than the first celebration people. None of them laugh. They're all sitting there like, or maybe I should take that as a compliment. They think I'm younger than I am. But in the 80s, I was in middle school and high school. And in the 80s, you remember in the 80s, it was all about being a three-sport athlete. Like it was encouraged that we would have three-sport athletes. uh, And those were the elite kind of athletes. But then in the 90s, organizers got together and they're like, hey, What if we created these club teams? And AAU, what they started to do was they started to have year-round sports. Year-round basketball. Year-round girls' volleyball. Year-round soccer. Year-round baseball. And studies are coming back now because we've had about a 20-year period of this year-round concept. And you know what they're finding? That kids' knees are breaking down. Their ankles are breaking down. Their elbows are breaking down. Their shoulders are breaking down. And it's almost as if the medical community is saying, you know what? Our kids need a Sabbath. They need a Sabbath for their joints to actually heal. Think about vacations. You ever do this before? Two months till my vacation. Man, I can't wait. All right, what do I have to do before I get to that 
time. And so you plan a seven-day vacation. But what really happens on a seven-day vacation? I want to show it to you so you visually see what happens. You say, I'm going on a vacation for seven days. But there are two kind of things that happen within this seven-day window. And the first is you need two days at the front to wind down because you've just been so steamed on getting there. So you got two days for that. And then you have two days on the back side because now you got to get ramped back up. Man, I got to go back to work. I got to go back to work. How much is a seven day vacation then, folks? How? Three days. You're like, dude, that wasn't what I was planning for spring break. That was seven days. Or have you ever had this before? You put it out on the calendar two months down. You're like, oh, man, uh, man, we got a lot of stuff we got to accomplish before I get to my vacation. But we're just going to plug through. We're going to fight through. We're going to work our tails off a little extra time. I'll put in some overtime, but eventually we'll get to that seven-day vacation. And you get to that seven-day vacation, and this is what happens. You get sick. Why? Your body shuts down, and it's like, finally. Please stop. I need a Sabbath. I'm too ramped up all the time. I'm too stressed out. I'm way overmaxed. And our bodies are telling us, give us a break. Sabbath teaches us how to rest, folks, because then this is the benefit. When you go on a vacation, then you've already been resting regularly and flourishing the way God wants you to do. So that when you go on that, you fully embrace all of it because you've been honoring his way. Sabbath is an invitation to rest in God's presence. So here's my third question. What effort are you making to rest? Are you making any effort in your life whatsoever to rest? Is it a value to you? Or is it just higher and a greater value? Is can I please Pharaoh? Can I make Pharaoh happy? And so you keep pushing and pushing and pushing seven days a week. And this is what I'm telling some of you, and I hope some of you hear this this morning, that if you keep going at the pace that you're going, something's going to break. And some of you know that. You've had a physical breakdown. You've had an emotional breakdown. You've had a mental breakdown. You've had a spiritual breakdown because you're going too fast. Sabbath teaches us how to rest. So, what do we do? How do we do it? If I'm a stay-at-home mom, if I work in a factory, if I work at a store, if I work at a restaurant, if I have a white-collar job, a blue-collar job, how do I practice Sabbath? Well, simply put, I want to just give you three words. The first one is this. Cease. If you want a fresh start for your Sabbath, if you want a Sabbath fresh start, you've got to cease. You simply pick a day and you choose to stop. You stop. You stop producing. Remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about having a fresh start with your schedule? And I said that really when you're setting up your schedule, you're setting up your calendar, it's not about so much trying to get things done as your schedule should represent who you want to become. In other words, a schedule shouldn't just be a whole bunch of check things that you're 
going to get done, but it should represent who do you want to become as a person. And that is everything that Sabbath is about. Sabbath is about God saying, I'm so glad you took the time to pull back and rest because now I can actually get through the noise of your life and speak into your heart of who I dreamed you to be. The Hebrew people had it from sundown to sundown, Friday night to Sunday or to Saturday night. Constantine in the third century, he said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to make it all day Sunday. So we remember the refreshment of Easter and resurrection. This is the thing, folks. It really doesn't matter what day you choose. Just make it a day. Growing up as a kid, uh, our day was Sunday. We'd go to church. I had to go because I was a preacher's kid. Still going through therapy for some of this stuff. But I... <laughs> and I... I would go to church, and then Sunday afternoon, our family didn't do anything. Everyone just, like, vegged out. There's nothing better than a Sunday afternoon nap. We love to do that. And you see, folks, again, it's not so much about the day as it is, are you experiencing God's presence? But you've got to pick a day. Have you ever noticed days don't pick you? You've got to pick the day of what you're going to do to take that day off. Jesus put it this way. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the, what's it say? It's made for you. You have to intentionally choose a day. You put the seventh day. Do you put it in pencil or ink? Ink. You put it in ink. Second practical step. You rest. You simply rest. The passage in Hebrews says that there is a Sabbath rest, a time for you to rest in the presence of God and what he desires. How are you doing with that? How do you rest in the presence of God? I'll tell you one thing. It's taking this thing and disconnecting from it. You totally disconnect. Did you realize that for like millions of years they didn't have this and they got stuff done? This is how I do it. I get, the, I get my Bible out on my Sabbath day and I open it up and I read something that is not what I'm teaching on. And I just allow it to speak to me. And it's just a moment between me and God. Sunday or Saturday morning, I had a moment where I was just me and God. It was so great. And I journaled about it and the refreshment that came. Maybe for some of you it's worship music. You listen to some music and you feel it. Maybe it's when you walk outside and you experience God's creation. Maybe for some of you it's painting. You paint or you do something artistic. And you allow yourself to just get away and rest your mind. Rest your body. And you experience God's presence. And what happens is the RPMs go down, folks. And you actually have a sense to, like, rest. So how do you go about resting in the presence of God? You've got to take a moment where you just connect with God alone. You say, God, I'm giving this to you. And you just stop. Now this is what's going to happen if you do this. Some of you are going to fall asleep. But that's okay. God's okay with that. In fact, sometimes people are like, man, I was praying. I don't know if I did this right, but I fell asleep. Hallelujah. Your body was like, hey, God's giving you a gift. Sleep. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do this afternoon is not watching the Super Bowl. You know what it would be? Take a nap. 
most spiritual thing you could do, just to rest. So you cease, you rest, and finally you delight. That's the last thing, you delight. What does that mean, delight? Well, to delight, sometimes we don't like that because we think to ourselves, well, I shouldn't enjoy this. But remember what God did on the seventh day? What's it say? It says he stepped back, and what did he do? He delighted. He said it's very, very good. He's like, this is good. One of the things my wife loves to do on her Sabbath day is she loves to read. So she gets her Kindle out. She goes up in our little bedroom. She says, keep the kids downstairs. <laughs> and she gets the Kindle out and she's reading and everything. And every once in a while I'll walk in and maybe she's worked, you know, quite a quite a bit in that particular week and I'll walk in and she'll be like passed out. Her glasses are still on. There's like slobber coming down, you know. <laughs> it's like the perfect picture of Sabbath. I mean, it's like Sabbath right there. My mom, growing up as a kid, she would go and she had this room and she would do oil painting and art and painting was something that she delighted in because God delighted in it. Typically for me, my Sabbath begins whatever the last thing is I have here. Sometimes it's right after this. Sometimes it's 3 o'clock before I get out of here. But I take a 24-hour period from that time until Monday afternoon or Monday evening. And I just try to chill. I try to sleep in and get my wife to take the kids, you know, to school. But sometimes you got to be responsible, you know what I mean? So I'll do that. But then I run on Mondays. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem like you're resting. But this is what my Monday run is. I try to go somewhere where I can literally close my eyes, not for the whole miles, okay, but just for moments within. And I love to just experience like, ah, God, what a gift. And I'll look up and I just look at the clouds and I listen to some worship music and I'm, I'm just me and God, no one else around. And other times what I'll do uh, is I like to just kind of like mess around in the yard a little bit. And so maybe I'll mow or I'll pick up sticks. Every once in a while I, I got this chainsaw. I get this chainsaw out, man, when I'm feeling manly. That's not a Sabbath for my wife, I can tell you that. She's concerned greatly. But I'll go in the backyard and I'll just kind of do that in this little wooded area that we have. And I love being outside and just being in the presence of God. And I enjoy and I delight in it. And it fuels me up, folks. It actually fuels me up for the rest of the week. So what can you delight in in what God has created? You've got to fight for it. Like I said, those days won't choose what your Sabbath is. You've got to choose it. But if you do, the next six days, what I notice is that I see the footprints of God so much more, and I engage in that. I saw a woman that I hadn't seen in years. She recently lost her husband, and she just wept in the presence. And I don't think if I would have had my Sabbath on Monday, I would have ever even recognized the woman. I just would have went and got my sandwich and left. But I saw her, and I recognized it. And I think it's because I took some time off. And you have to wrestle with it. He's asking you to do it. And it's not a religious duty, folks. It's not something like, do this. He's saying this would be the best thing for you if you did. So this is my final question for you. Are you flourishing? Like seriously, are you flourishing? Or do you feel stressed and 
overwhelmed and maxed out. I believe that God has something so much better for you. And it's called a Sabbath fresh start. So I want to give you a practice right now of just one minute. Well, I'd like you to not think about what I'm doing next or, okay, he's wearing that black and white shirt. He wore that, you know, a few weeks ago. And, you know, like, but just close your eyes. If you have to, if you're not a Christ follower, if this whole God thing's new to you, you can just take a moment just to meditate, just to, to be quiet. And just give a moment of what you might practice later this week when you get to choose your day. Not asking God for anything, just being in his presence. God, I uh, thank you so much for every single person in this room. And many times we stand to pray, but today, God, I want them to be able to just sit and to rest in your presence. God, you know it's so hard for us to slow down, to turn things off. But God, I pray that you would help folks this week to put in ink what a Sabbath day might look like. Help them not to believe the lies of the evil one who says you're being lazy, you're being unproductive. Why are you taking a day of rest? We need it, God, so we can flourish and be the best that you want us to be. Remind them, God, that that you took a day to model to us what it means to cease and desist. A time not to think about pharaohs or distractions or stress. That we would just be able to simply rest in your presence. So help people this week, God, to cease to rest and to delight in you so that your name would be made great. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like prayer for anything, the prayer team will be up here. First Steps with Chris is today. If I haven't met you or connected with you, just 15 minutes, uh, we're meeting in the hallway there. Have a great week, everybody.